For those of you who may have uh, not noticed, yesterday was Valentine's Day. So just in case you just trying to help a brother out. Uh, February's got a couple big things in it. Valentine's Day. And how about our kids going out and sharing the love with senior adults? Great job, guys. Appreciate it. Give them a hand. Saw the pictures earlier. Thank you for doing that. Wonderful way to just demonstrate love in a practical way. Uh, February's also got another big event in it. Uh, how many of you were uh, involved or watching, went to a Super Bowl party, watched the game? Anybody? Anybody? Not very many. Maybe maybe because the Jaguars weren't in it. If, if you're waiting for that, you wait a long time. I don't know. <laughs> Giving up hope. Well, if you watched it, it was a great game. I'm usually not a fan of a football game that I don't have any you know, interest in the teams, but I did watch the, the game this year, and uh, it was actually a very, very good game. How many of you before the Super Bowl this year would have known the name Malcolm Butler? Anybody? Very few of us might have known that name prior to the Super Bowl. Some, some may have, but, but he was not somebody who was pretty well-known, 24 years old. Uh, he was not drafted. He came from just a small school, West Alabama, and he saved the game in the last 20 seconds. Now, some people say that Seattle lost the game. It was a bad coaching call. But I still say if this guy had not been there to make that interception, this unknown guy, undrafted, small college, if he had not made that play... Uh, the game would have turned out entirely different than that, wouldn't it? In life, there are those people that we encounter who have just a short part of our life, maybe even just minutes or seconds, but they have a profound impact. They change the course or the direction. Uh, For me, I know there were several people like that. As I look back, the impact some people had in my life so far outweighs the length of time I knew them. I, I I had a professor when I was doing my graduate studies in Texas, who, uh, his name was Calvin Miller. And I just, I mean, I just remember listening to him teach and talk and his personal interest with me after class and the encouragement he gave me just had a profound impact. And I, I, I think about that and I think, you know, I, I don't know that I'd go, have gone on and have done the things I've done without his influence in my life. And, and it wasn't, he didn't have a big part of my life. He was just, you know, if you add it all up, you'd measure it in hours, not even in days, but it was still a significant impact. Um, we had, I've mentioned it before, there was a couple when we were living in Texas, there was this uh, older couple um, who just kind of took Sherry and I in and loved on us. And they were kind of surrogate parents while we were away. And we just learned so much from them, just how to be married, how to, how to, how to be a good husband. And, and they, just, they just invested in us and loved us. Um, and their impact was measured just in months, not, not even really in years. I mean, it was just, just a couple years' time that we were together. But it had, a, it had a huge, huge influence in my life. My junior year of high school, uh, we got a new uh, chorus teacher at our school, and I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And he really, I mean, just being in his class, I understood, man, I love music. I really love music, and I think that's something that maybe God could use in my life uh, as I go forward. And it was really just his impact and his influence. People who, who just maybe played a short, minor role in your life, but their impact was so great. For you, maybe it was a, a coach. Uh, maybe it was a teacher. Uh, maybe it was uh, just uh, somebody that you just met, happened to meet in a store or a coworker, I don't know what it was, but, but you can look back in your life and you can say, okay, that person impacted my career. They impacted the way I, I interact with my spouse or they interact, they impact the way that I parent. People who just play a small role but made a big, big difference. 
one of the things I really love about the Bible and reading the Bible is that the Bible's full of stories like that. Characters who play a really tiny part, but the part they play has a big impact, makes a big difference. And you would even track down that maybe if they hadn't done what they did, the stories might have been different. God would have still had his way, but the story might have taken a different twist or a different turn. Today, I'd like us to look at just two, just such characters, two characters who fit that description. And, and they're two characters, they're two of Jesus' disciples, not very well known, uh, but they had a huge impact in what they did and the legacy that they left behind. And here's why I want us to look at this today. Because I want you to understand that your impact on people is measured not in the amount of time that you may end up investing in somebody's life, but it's, it's measured by the significance of the moment. That you never understand, you never fully know the impact that you're going to have on somebody's life in just a chance encounter or for just a short season of life. You may be a teacher in a classroom. You may be a student in a classroom. You, you, you may be on a temporary job assignment. And, and we need to know that our interaction with people can have a legacy that can go far past our our involvement with that individual and far past even our lifespan with the ripple effects that that, that that encounter may have. And so we need to be people who are sensitive, people who are aware of the potential impact we're having on people. Impact for good and impact for bad because it works both ways, doesn't it? Because just like you know people who had a positive impact on your life in a very short interaction with you, you also know people who had a negative impact on your life, and they also just had a very short encounter with you. It works both ways. So I'd like us to look today at two characters in the scripture, two of Jesus' disciples, not very well known, not often celebrated, but they made a big, big difference. You can find the story at the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up there. We'll also put it on the screen behind us. We're finishing up John chapter 1 today, and I want us to look beginning in verse 40. John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Now, John is writing this story. The guy named writing this, his name is John, and he's talking about another John who is often called John the Baptist. So John and Andrew were followers of John the Baptist, and because of John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus, they started following Jesus. Jesus instead. Now, introducing Andrew, he, he says something about Andrew. He says, Andrew, what does he say next? Simon Peter's brother. Now, any time in scripture and throughout the Bible and any time in life where you qualify somebody's name with their relationship to somebody else, you're making a statement, aren't you? You're saying that this person isn't as well known as the person that they're related to. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, some of you grew up being introduced as so-and-so's little sister or so-and-so's little brother or so-and-so, anybody, you know, so you, you know what that may feel like, you know, that if you went to the same high school or the same college as one of your siblings or you were in the same circles and that person was well-known, you're always so-and-so's, you know, little brother or so-and-so's little sister. That was Andrew's story. His whole life, he was just Simon Peter's brother. That's all he was, Simon Peter's brother. But what's interesting about that is that if it had not been for Andrew, as we're going to find out here in just a minute, if it had not been for Andrew, Peter would not be known today. 2,000 years later, the only reason we're talking about Peter 
is because of what his little brother Andrew did. So, so follow along. Watch this. So the first thing Andrew did, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. So, so Andrew, Andy and John had this encounter with Jesus. They spent the day with him. They went to see where he lived. They went back and the first thing Andrew did, the first thing, he just said, Peter, I got to tell you about this guy that we met. I got I to gotta, I let you know what's happened to us. He went back and he told him. He didn't know much. Andrew didn't have a lot of knowledge. He hadn't spent much time with Jesus. He didn't have a lot of information. He couldn't have won an argument with Peter. He just knew that he had had an encounter with Jesus. And he said, Peter, I want you to meet this guy. He didn't feel like he had to be completely trained. He didn't feel like he had to be completely in the know. He just went and he told him about Jesus. Listen, the newer your relationship with Jesus is, the greater your potential to have an influence and an impact on people who are far from God. The newer your relationship with Christ is. Sometimes people, you you may get in this mindset of thinking, well, when I know more, then I'll tell people about this Jesus that I've come to meet. It's, It's bad thinking. The greatest impact you will ever have will be when you first come to know him. Now, that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook in terms of telling people what we know about Jesus, but it's just to say to those of you who may be new in your walk with Christ, don't feel like you have to wait to know all the answers to begin to tell people about who you've met and the difference he's made in your life. Because Andrew didn't wait. Andrew went ahead and told Peter, and look what he did next. And he brought him to Jesus. Now that's an active word. He didn't just say, you should go to Jesus. He said, let me take you. He picked Peter up and he drove him there. He paid for the gas. I mean, he was invested in Peter. They didn't have, y'all are a tough crowd this morning. (laughs) He carried him all the way. Now, I want you to catch something here with me for just a second. Because there's a thread going on. There's a relational thread that's happening. Peter was told about Jesus by his little brother, Andrew. Andrew was told about Jesus by John, the baptizer, who was somebody that John respected and that Andrew respected and Andrew trusted. There's a thread, there's a relational thread that's going on here. Part of the reason why I believe the Bible is because there's been a thread, multiple threads that have been going on for thousands of years. Of one person telling another person, telling another person who told somebody, who told somebody, who told my uncle, who told my mother, who told me. And and they didn't have a seminary degree. They didn't have an education. They just knew what Christ had done in their life. And it was important enough to them that they told somebody they cared about who told somebody they cared about. And for 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of these threads have carried on and on and on. And together they've woven a beautiful tapestry, and we call that tapestry the church. You're a part of it today. Everybody here was told something about Jesus by somebody. And that's part of the reason why you're sitting here today. And he brought him to Jesus. And this thread of relationship is what led him there. It wasn't the information. It wasn't an education. It was, it was the importance of the relationship that Andrew had with his brother. Look at verse 43. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, 
the son of Joseph. Now, did you catch how quick that happened? Phil met Jesus, and the very next thing he did was go and find his buddy Nathaniel and say, hey, come with me and meet Jesus. He didn't know much. Look what he called Jesus. Do you notice what he called him? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that was just basically saying where he was from. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He didn't have any theological jargon. He didn't say that this is the son of God. He didn't say that this is the, the, the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. All he knew was the basic biographical information. He's from Nazareth. His daddy's name is Joseph. I think he was maybe a carpenter. But you should come and meet him. So he extends this invitation. Part of, what, part of what this reminds me about Philip is that if you wait until you know enough, you'll never begin. You'll never, ever begin. Start with what you know, not with what you don't. Start with people who you're in relationship with, not with people who you have no relationship with. Now listen, because this is where it gets, this is where it gets uh, difficult. You know, we don't see any pushback from Peter to his brother Andrew, but listen to what Nathaniel says. Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked? He, he challenges Philip's claim about Jesus right away. You see, all the prophets had been talking about this Messiah for years and years and years. And no prophet had ever said that, he, that the Messiah would come out of the town of Nazareth. And Nathaniel is a pretty smart guy. Nathaniel may have been smarter than Philip because he'd read all this. He knew this. So Nathaniel's like, let me, let me just straighten you out a little bit here, Philip. He can't be the Messiah. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Besides that, there's a little bit of a rivalry going on here between, between these two towns, between Galilee and Nazareth. There's, there's, a, there's a rivalry that's happening here. It'd be a little bit like if, um, if, if you're from the University of Florida and somebody tells you the Messiah is going to come from FSU. You'd be like, no way. Or you can flip it for you, FSU fan, however you want to do it. But there's there's a little bit of a rivalry going here. And Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes out of that town. That is a no good, sorry town. Nothing ever good happens there. And this was a theological question. Nathaniel wanted to engage Philip in a debate. But notice what happens. Philip doesn't take the bait. He, He doesn't try to argue with him, does he? Listen to what he says next in verse 46. Come and see, said Philip. That's his whole argument. Now, we've heard that before. If you were here last week, that was exactly Jesus' invitation to his disciples. When, when John and Andrew started following Jesus, Jesus just turned to him and said, come and see. Nath- Philip hears that invitation from Jesus and extends the same invitation to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, I really don't know about all that. I don't have the answers to that. I can't explain it. Why don't you just... Why don't you just come and see? Philip didn't try to fix Nathaniel. He didn't try to change his mind. He was willing to meet Nathaniel exactly where he was. Listen, listen. If if you're a Christian here today, I'm talking to you. If you're not a Christian, this is probably a good week for you to be here because you can hear all these sort of inside tips and know how to avoid Christians you don't want to talk to. Okay? So, but if you're here and you're a Christian, listen. Sometimes, not sometimes, many times we have bought into the lie that says we have to somehow have arguments, ironclad arguments, for every element of our faith, every facet of what we believe, every social issue that comes up, every news story that's debated. We have to be able to defend that. We have to be able to argue about that. We have to be able to justify ourselves. Can I tell you, it's all a distraction. It's all a distraction. Because ultimately, as Christians, here's what we believe. 
It all comes down to one thing. And that is, who was Jesus Christ? Who was he? Did he do what the Bible says he did? And is he who the Bible claims he is? All the other debates, all the social debates, all the debates about creation, all the debates did, you know, can a man live in a belly of a fish for three days? I'm not saying they're... I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying when you are engaging in a conversation with somebody who is far from God, it is far more important that they come and see Jesus than that you convince them of your view on creation or evolution. And I'm telling you, we are losing the culture, not because we don't engage in these conversations, but because we are engaging in some conversations that we ought to just say, you know what, I really would rather you just come and meet this Jesus who made a difference in my life. And I'm going to trust that once you're in relationship with Jesus, that as you, as you get closer to him and as you begin to understand his teachings, as you begin to understand what he believed, as you begin to understand what he did, he can transform those other things if he even wants to, but that's up to him, that's not up to me. Because my job is not to transform you into an image of me. That's not my job. My job is not to make you a Republican. My job is not to make you believe in a literal six-day creation. My job is not to make you believe that Jonah can live in the belly of a fish. My job is to introduce you to somebody who changed my life and who can change the world and who can change yours. His name is Jesus. Would you come and see? And I know, I know, I understand the, 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 the pressure that we feel to try to convince people of lesser important subjects. And please hear me say, I'm not saying that they're not relevant topics. I'm just saying, could we please, please make the main thing the main thing? And that is, who is Jesus? And what has he done for you? And what difference has he made in your life and in your family? And what difference can he make in the lives of other people? Do we trust Jesus to transform people or not? Because I'm going to tell you, I don't do a very good job of transforming people. And institutional religion through the ages has not done a great job of transforming people. And if it has transformed people, it hasn't transformed them into what we want them to be. We've fallen short. And so Philip says, you know what? I don't know about all that. I don't know about Nazareth. I don't know. I don't know. He's just... He just is from Nazareth. He is the son of Joseph, and I think he was a carpenter. Would you just come and see? Philip starts with what he knew, and he leads Nathaniel to Jesus, and he doesn't feel the pressure to try to change him or convert him. Listen to what happens next, verse 47, 48. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked, isn't it interesting? All of a sudden, that whole conversation about what town he was from, in one instance, one moment with Jesus, suddenly those questions become irrelevant. How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree behind, uh, before Philip called you. I saw you. People want to know that we serve a God who, who sees them. And the way that they know that the God we serve sees them is when we see them, when we listen to them, when we're far more interested in hearing their story and hearing their pain than we are in divulging more information to them than they're ready to hear. Listen 
watch. It's what people are looking for. It's what people are hoping for. And I love, I love in this encounter, Nathaniel's theological question never came up again. It never came back up. Not in this encounter with Jesus. You can read through the rest of the gospel accounts and you will never find the answer to Nathaniel's question. We do not come to faith by resolving unanswered questions. That's not how you came to faith. If you're here and you're a Christian, you didn't become a Christian because somebody answered every question you had about Christianity or the Bible. If you're honest, now that you are a Christian, you probably have more questions now than you did before. And you may be less sure now of what you thought you knew when you were a Christian than you do now. Because we don't come to faith because all of our unresolved questions are answered. All of us have unresolved questions about God, about the Bible, about how it relates to our culture today, about suffering, about pain, about brokenness. We all have those questions. But our unanswered questions diminish in significance as we come to know Jesus. Suddenly, when Nathaniel was faced with Jesus, it wasn't very important where he came from. It wasn't very important anymore because he had an experience with Jesus that he couldn't explain And look what happened next in verse 49. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the, what did he say? Son of God. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Did you see what just happened? That Nathanael just completely bypassed Philip. Philip didn't say that Jesus was the son of God. Philip didn't say that he was the king of Israel. Philip just said, come and see. Nathanael, against his will, I believe, went to see. And in one encounter with Jesus, he suddenly said, you know what? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Philip's limited understanding, his limited knowledge, it had had no hindrance on Nathaniel's ability to come to experience Jesus. And here's what I want you to see, whether it's Andy or whether it's Phil. Never underestimate the power of a personal invitation. Never underestimate the power of a personal invitation because it does not require that you know everything or that you have all the answers. It doesn't require you to be able to justify every crazy statement that comes out of every religious leader that's on CNN at night. You don't have to do that. All you have to be able to do is talk about an experience that you had and invite people to come and see. And here's how it starts. You begin where you are. You begin right now where you are with what you already know, not with what you don't know. And you begin with who God has already placed around you. Let me give you three things to listen for. Three statements in conversations with people to be sensitive to how God might be opening up a door for a significant conversation that could have an internal impact on somebody close to you, okay? These are three things. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you'll know never to say these things around a Christian, okay? At least nobody from Southside Baptist Church. Because here are three things that you listen for. Three things that if you hear these, they should be triggers in your mind to say, you know what? This person may be ready for me just to invite them to come with me to a worship service, just to invite them to a Bible study. That's all. You don't even have to enter into a theological debate. 
What are you doing Sunday? I'll come and pick you up. Why don't you come to church with me? Here are three things to listen for. You ready? They're simple. They're the three knots. Three knots. The first one is this. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to church. If you're in a conversation with somebody, you mention church, and you say, hey, do you go to church? If they say, I'm not going to church, that's one. Why don't you come with me? And you think, well, does that really make a difference? It absolutely makes a big difference. Listen to this. These are statistics by surveyors from Christian uh, organizations and from non-Christian organizations. They all have researched this, and here's what they discover. How visitors come to church. 2% come from slick marketing and advertisements. 2% of people that come to church came because they saw a billboard or came because they got something in the mail. 2%, all right? 6% by a pastoral invitation. That means me inviting people to church. All right, 6%, not very many. 6% by organized evangelism campaigns. That means like as a whole church, we have this big program, we have this big event, and everybody's invited. So 6% by that. 86% by friends or relatives. 86% of the people that come to church came because an Andy or a Phil invited them to come. That's why. Didn't come because some pastor convinced them of some spiritual truth. It came because just people who follow Jesus, people who've had an experience with Jesus, just said, Hey, why don't you come? Now, here's, here's what's disturbing only 2% of church people invite unchurched persons to come to church with them. That means if we've got, let's just, just, we'll make it easy for math's sake, let's just say we've got 200 people in the room today. Only four of you will ever, not just this week, only four of you will ever not, not share the gospel, not open a Bible. Only four of you will ever just simply say, would you come and see? That's just on average. That would just be average. Only four would ever do that. But 86% of people who actually come, come because 2% of people would extend the invitation to say, come and see. One study found 37% of Christians linked their conversion to being invited to church. That's over a third. Say, my relationship with Jesus came because somebody just said, hey, would you come and see? You can have a profound impact on somebody from a simple invitation. So the first thing, I'm not going to church. The second not is when somebody says, it was something I was not expecting. If you're engaged in a conversation and, and, and in the course of the conversation, the person says, you know what, uh, we were transferred and that was something I was not expecting. Our child was diagnosed with, uh, with, uh, with a disease. Uh, we were not expecting that. Um, my wife filed for divorce. I did not see that coming. Anytime somebody says, I was not expecting it, I did not see it coming, it should be a trigger in your mind to say, you know what, this might be an opportunity for me just to say, hey, why don't you come and see? Why don't you come with me this Sunday? I'm not going to church. It was something I was not expecting. And the third thing is, things are just not going well. Things are not going well. God uses the crisis of our lives to create an opening for us to see and experience his grace and his faithfulness. And that's not just those of us who call ourselves Christians. That's everybody in the world. When crises and difficulty come, 
It's an opening for somebody to experience grace, for somebody to experience faith, to see God in a new way. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to listen for the knots. We're not going to church. We were not expecting it. Things are not going well. And, and here's the invitation. Come and see. Would you just come and see? Now, I, I know for, for those of you who are here and you're uh, maybe, maybe just getting back into church or you've been out of church for a long time or you're not a Christian, this is one of the things you don't like about Christians. Right? Can we just be honest? You just don't like this about Christians. But let me tell you, let me tell you something. And I just want to talk to you just for a minute because I know some of you are in the room. I just want you to hear me say this. Here's why, here's why this is so important. Because we really do believe this. We really do believe that Jesus is the solution to the problems that you face, to the problems in your family, to the problems in your marriage, to the problems in our world. We believe that. We believe that God demonstrated his love for all of us in this, that while we were broken, sinful people, Christ died for us. We believe that. We've experienced the difference that he's made in our life. And we love you too much not to extend the invitation to come and see. That's why. We're not trying to win an award. We're not trying to rake up some high attendance number. We just want you to experience what we've experienced. And that's the love of God is expressed through Jesus Christ. For those of you who are here and you are Christians, this is why you don't like coming to church and why you don't like Christians. <laughs> it, because because there's, some, there's something inside of you that's like, oh, man, this is going to make, I'm going to feel guilty. I don't want to do this. I, I, and, and, and there's something inside of us that we always feel guilty about what it is we don't do. This is not a message to make you feel guilty. Guilt does not help. It doesn't help. I just want you to know that maybe you've thought that it was harder than it needs to be. Maybe you've bought into some idea that you have to win some theological debate or some social debate before you can simply have an impact in somebody's life. I'm telling you, by being present and listening and engaging and then extending a simple invitation, you can have a profound impact in somebody's life. Trust God to make the difference in their life. It's not your responsibility. It's not what he's called you to do. For those of you who are interested in learning more and being a part of this, we have a great opportunity in the city of Jacksonville in the month of March. Um, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, respected by people of all faiths across the world, is doing some training seminars in the city of Jacksonville. There's information in your bulletin today. We'd love, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Um, I promise you will not regret it. It would be an, a good investment of your time. Read about that. Sign up and be involved in that. But more importantly than that, you don't have to wait to take some class to do this. Just listen to people. And avoid the temptation to engage in meaningless conversations when God may be setting before you an opportunity to make a profound impact in one conversation. Will you listen? Will you listen? And then will you extend the same invitation Jesus extended, the same invitation his disciples extended, Come and see. If it was good enough for Jesus, if it was good enough for his disciples, don't you think it's probably good enough for us? I do. I do. I know I'm here today because of that simple invitation to come and see. Many of you are here today 
because of somebody who you don't even have contact with anymore, but they extended a simple invitation to come and see, will you, will you leave a legacy like Andy and Phil? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for the millions of threads of relationships that extend 2,000 years down of people who, like Andrew and Philip and like Jesus and John the Baptist, just simply extended an, an invitation. Lord, may we continue that legacy. May we be willing to engage in meaningful conversations with people. Father, help us to avoid meaningless banter when we know you've called us to have a lasting impact. Lord, I'm grateful for those in the room who even now are praying for people that are in their circle of influence, co-workers, family members, friends. And Lord, I pray that you give them ears, your ears, to hear conversations the way you would hear them, your eyes to see people the way you would see them. And that you give them the courage and the faith that goes beyond their, their knowledge and their experience to just extend a simple invitation. And Father, may we trust you to take that invitation and use it to transform lives, families, and ultimately our world with the hope of the gospel. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.